Hello and welcome to episode 11 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week we are absolutely delighted to welcome a special guest and friend onto the show. Arne Anderson, physical education teacher at Madras College in Fife, is here to talk us through the Scottish Higher Physical Education course structure and key teaching strategies he has experience in using. Arne is also a good friend of mine, having studied our PGDE year at Strathclyde University. We've supported each other through the challenges and we definitely enjoyed the social life Glasgow had to offer. Aaron has recently launched his own football academy called Just For Kicks, which I recommend you check out if you have young kids or know of family or friends who would benefit from this innovative and high quality football coaching academy. Without further ado, how are you, my friend? How you doing? Oh, good, guys. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be on. Brilliant. What time you been up from this morning, planning your football coaching drills? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> been up well, early? No, no, I've been up since about, about six. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Clock. What's that? I'm still on my body clock. Even on lockdown, I'm still waking up at six in the morning. It's I no compared you two getting up at like half three and that. I, I, I thought I seen you in St Andrews all day on the Smoking Bridge then keep you up, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone was telling me, it's, it's funny you say that, I'm like four in the morning, you said you were up there, I know you're joking, but someone was telling me they saw a guy at four in the morning uh, up Glenrothes Main Street with a yellow jumper and a size two mitre playing wally against the fish and chip shop. Is that uh, you? Busy me. I've still got the, <laughs> I've still got the shoot float away, size five. <laughs> 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 um, so what about the dance lesson you provided a class with at uni remember that top class tango lesson by the way that was amazing tremendous eh? get that one quiet was, no, I've never been so nervous in all my life you taught a tango lesson <laughs> uh, you done well is yeah. this a, a non-traditional thing or something like that you said to do or is it just no they all got this This I was I was raging they all got <laughs> they, they all got um, I got rugby Ah, you got rugby. Guys oh, got you got given it. Aye, mm-hmm. we got assigned an activity. So Clark gets rugby. Somebody who's a footballer gets football. Somebody's got hockey and I get dance. You know? And it's just... It, by the way, funny wee story. I went um, with the father-in-law. We actually went. I've never actually told anyone this. You're getting a wee exclusive. We... Um, I was so nervous, right? So nervous. I've never done it. That myself and him went to... Cowden Beef Dance Club and it was like an over we didn't know this but we went in and it was ballroom dancing to try and improve my footwork Brilliant. to try and make sure I was alright when I was presenting to you guys oh was this before it? this was before it oh this right I thought you were saying last week or something dedication no this was like two weeks before it so I'm wearing some old bird called Frances I'm sure she fancied me she was like we really <laughs> the whole time a wee bit of heel too here we go I know <laughs> Favreau was firing about somebody called Mary. It was unbelievable. It was brilliant. <laughs> uh, but I absolutely loved you, the lecturer. Stuart, big Stuart for society. Loved you. Um, and was it no you and Harris that done the dance? Yeah. Was it, he done. You, you said Cal- half it? Hip hop or something? Harris done hip hop, I think. And I did uh, the was it tango or something like that. I didn't know the name of it. I Lewis, I heard your dance in the PGD course to get into that it was pretty decent. Ah, it was it was all right. I had to, I had, I had about two weeks notice. No, no, even two weeks. I think it was a week's notice to get into it, and I had to go and I was stressing out my box and I was trying to put this dance routine together. <laughs> then it, it was basic as like got a wee bit of shuffling in that in there, but that was as complex as it got. Ah, well, I don't know where it all went wrong for me. Anyway, diving right into it, Aaron. The work you're doing with SAP is great. Uh, last week you organised a lot of CLPL sessions which I took part in uh, so <clears throat> what is your role with SATP and how did you become involved with the association? Yeah so at the current moment I am one of two vice presidents to John Miller at SATP I got involved in it back in 2016 and it was just basically I'd started up a, an online portal for my higher class and it was a place where I was putting model answers up they were putting up their own answers back it was it was an interactive thing at the time when you look at it now it was quite you know I'd like to say so it was quite forward thinking compared to where we are now um, and I was sharing a lot of the stuff that I was doing with it on Twitter on my teacher Twitter 
and the president at the time, Russell Imney, got in contact saying he liked it and was wondering if it was possible for it to become part of the SAP website and it's now known as the SAP student notes that we've done over the last couple of years. There's actually an update coming um, in the next couple of weeks to, to the website. Superb. And um, Edge of Twitter, how did you become involved in that? Yeah, that, I, I love working on, on Twitter. I've learned so much from it. The, the network you get is invaluable. And initially for me, it was putting up resources, not, not to show off or to, or to get my name out there. I was actually doing it to try and get reassurance. I was doing it to get feedback, um, particularly on the higher course, because, you know, when I was at school, it was still standard grades. It was still the old higher. You know, so I'd never, I'd never even looked at higher for didn't get any of it at university. So it was more for reassurance that what I was doing was, Things I did initially was, was incorrect because there's a lot of tournament, there's a lot of tournament out there for schools, isn't there? Like, so every school is doing it differently. So it's just to, I suppose, have a platform where everyone's sharing their ideas and strategies. Aye, aye, definitely. And and just, and I find being open to the feedback as well. Like, there was some stuff I'd put up and it got torn apart, like, holes yeah. picked apart in it. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me, you know. It was learn, making those mistakes, it let me know every little minor detail that has to be correct in order to then take it back to your class and ensure that the teaching and learning has maximum impact. And I think it's just went from there. And over the last couple of years, I've, I'd like to see I've kind of got in a position now where people are now approaching me for advice to ask for my feedback on resources. And it's, it's good being there. It's a brilliant place to put resources, but most importantly, just to learn from one another. There's some great teachers out there. I've, I've loved some of the stuff that people do. Mm -hmm. So as a result of all your learnings over the years from EduTwitter and your role with SAP PE, how would you then structure the higher course from June to April based on everything you've learned over the years? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite big on this. To, to start with, I, I used to just follow the, I'll call it the traditional, taking factors through psychoanalysis many times. So like taking physical skill, combining it with social, taking physical tactics, combining it with emotional, blah, blah, blah and doing almost five or six cycles for the year. But I always remember that when I was doing it, the, the pupils were just not understanding what we were doing. We were, doing, we were covering far too much. You know, we were covering like five or six methods of data collection, for example. We never once applied a command word to them. Um, when we'd done a closed book test, the pupils did awful, and I mean awful. And I just asked them for feedback. I said, look, guys, what's on? What's going wrong? Like, how can I help you? Another look at myself as well. Twitter came in handy speaking to people. And it was quite clear from the people feedback that they just, they were overwhelmed with far too much. And they were, it was all superficial. They weren't getting any depth of knowledge. So what we did was I went away and I spoke to guys like Ian Stanger up in Aberdeen. I spoke to Russell Emery down in, um, at Lindsay, and I just asked, what is the bare minimum these kids need to know? And I then decided that rather than going through all these cycles of analysis, it was better to try and teach the kids the most minimalistic information, but achieve depth within each of it, rather than scattergun. Mm -hmm. And I'm not joking, since doing that, the results we've had have been much, much better. And the pupils report being much more confident, much more relaxed, they're less anxious, and they've, they've got a clearer structure on what they follow. So to answer your question, what I do is, is in June, we cover all the factors, and it's all practical. It's, it's this is physical education, let's get in, let's play, and let's look at the factors as they naturally occur. Um, we'll apply a three-step process to them, which we'll go into a little bit later. From August to October, we'll look at the data collection block, and we will look at two methods per every factor and because that's all they need. And we'll apply each of the four command words or five, including identify, to them. Um, so they're getting depth of knowledge. So you do four fat, uh, two methods of gathering data for four factors? That's eight methods? Yeah. Uh, uh, again, it's about being cute with it. So rather than eight, we do the performance profile and we or the PPW because that can be used for every factor. Mm -hmm. because they pick what sub-factors go around the outside 
So we, like before, I was literally going through five methods of data collection, like five standardized fitness tests for physical with no command words. Whereas now they, they have five methods of data collection that covers all the factors and they can apply all the command words to them. And so we're getting much more depth of learning. The closed book test, looking at evidence, the closed book test results are much, much higher for data collection than what they were in the previous model. Um, so we, again, it's taking that minimalistic and actually applying depth to them with the command words. And then we just follow a similar pattern again in November through December. It's about developing performance, two approaches per factor. It's all they need to know, but again, taking those mindfulness approaches that can be used in mental, such as positive self-talk for concentration, can also be used for anger and emotional. So in total then, we, we only cover six approaches, and again, we get maximum learning by applying all the command words to it. And then January, February, we cover monitor and evaluate, and again, how do we be minimalistic there? Well, what we do is the training diet, only to know one method, one method to monitor every factor. So we do the training diary because it does all of them. Mm -hmm. It does every factor. It's your training diary for all of them. And then same with evaluating method, we just do the retest of the PPW because that again could cover all of them. So again, it's all about minimalistic and getting depth. Um, and then by the time it comes to, I mean, our course is done by the end of February. So they get a good solid revision. Month and a half yeah. revision. Yeah. Now it sounds like you've got the kind of pupil voice side at the start, asking them what they would prefer. And then you're getting the depth through your approach. And as you say, it's in June for, uh, for we're in school now, you'll be focusing on the factors and where they're naturally occurring. So uh, moving on then to number two, in terms of the, the pedagogical side and behind the, behind the teaching and learning approach, which models do you use when teaching higher? Um, what's worked well for you or maybe not so well? In terms of pedagogy, one thing I start with, it's not so much pedagogy, but at the start, the first week they're in, it's all about growth mindset. It's all about setting up a, you know, a mastery environment where it's about you are working your hardest, you, are, you want to get things wrong because it allows you to get the feedback to correct it. It's about leaving your ego at the door. It's about mm -hmm. contributing to the team because we, we follow a cooperative learning model as well. So when it comes to homework, we put the kids into teams of four or five. And what they'll do is they get a score, an individual score based on how, how much effort they put in. So if you hand it in on time with maximum effort, don't care if it gets 10 out of 10 or one out of 10, as long as there's maximum effort there and it's in on time, you'll get three points. If you're somebody who just does the bare minimum and gets it in on time, you get one point. And if you're somebody who just doesn't hand it in or hands it in late without any sort of excuse, you always a point. But in your team or four, that's your individual score contributes to the team score. So they might end up with, you know, if there's four, they might end up with 12 points if all of them do it correctly, they get three points each. And one of the things, the reason why that's worked, again, pupil feedback, is that we need to remember who our kids are. They love competition. Mm -hmm. they, they, love, they love being part of a team. So making them accountable to their team is very, very important. And that competitive element actually strives with a lot of the ones who are maybe not academic because it makes them do their homework because they don't want to let their teammates down. So links in really well to external motivation well as well, which is one of the factors you could talk about that through their, their homework tasks. That's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. And... Um, so we use that, so, you know, when I talk about pedagogy, growth mindset, obviously not a pedagogical model, but growth mindset to set the environment, set the culture, mm -hmm. cooperative learning to try and stimulate motivation, to try and ensure that they do work hard. And then when it comes to pedagogical approaches, there's loads of them, guys. Um, one of the things I really like doing is applying the factors, for example, to life, learning and work, applying approaches to life, learning and work. Um, holistic development comes in there. So, for example, you know, we've we done a big thing a couple of years back on a mental PDP, and I actually asked them when they were doing anxiety to try and link their approaches to real life situations rather than sport when they get anxious. So, we're taking it outside of PE, and it was phenomenal mm -hmm. getting back. We had kids talking about how they get anxious when they put their hand up in class in maths, for example, in case they get the answer wrong. We had 
kids talking about their anxieties when they went to the dentist. We had six-year kids talking about their anxieties going on driving lessons. And they were actually then talking about how they used approaches like deep breathing to help them in those situations. Um, and that actually got more depth because we were going out, we were taking it outside the PE and then bringing it back. Probably. So life learning work was, was huge. And then, you know, the final one was, you know, there's loads of them, but another one I'll do quite a lot is, as I've said before, it's about developing the literacy skills of kids. You know, as I've said before, stereotypically our kids are not high flyers. Stereotypically our kids, a lot of our kids, in my experience, are sitting, they're one and only higher in PE. So a lot of them, and, and a lot of teachers moan about this, and, and I was one of them, they moan about how the, the exam at higher is, is almost a test of literacy skills as opposed to PE knowledge, but it's kind of like just got over it and got on with it. That's, that, that's they're not right. getting mapped on the literacy, are they? I the portfolio, so... You know, it's, it's about, the command was just simply how they shaped their knowledge to fit the question. So with the command were there about giving them strategies that are, you know, not, not just applicable to PE, but to across the curriculum, making sure there's comprehensive and universal definitions. So uh, I'm teaching... I was going to say that. Yeah, you know what I mean? If I'm teaching evaluate, it needs to be the same when the history teacher's teaching evaluate. There's no point in going to history period five doing something for evaluate, coming to me and doing something different, because that's where mm. confusion reigns. Mm. So, Spot on. You know. That's interesting. Alan, I'm curious to find out, because I've obviously never taught the higher course yet since graduating, but in one of your CLPL sessions on the exam prep, how do you go about maximising your pupils' potential when it comes to exam prep for all three sections of the, the higher exam? Yeah, so by the time, as I've said, by the time they reach end of February, March, they should be in a position where they've covered all the course content is in the mandatory knowledge. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's about one, simple revision, you know, developing the memory side, the skills, revisiting stuff they've done in June and August. Yeah. But uh, as well as that, it's, it's also about, for me, it's, it's about now being a bit creative. So one of the things I like to do in the, the practical domain at this time is have pupils create their own scenarios based on what they see. Mm -hmm. So, Pupils build up their own scenarios. So if a team's on court, team sorry is off court and they're watching a game, they're writing sentences on the board based on what they see. Yeah. Um, so it might be that Joe Boggs lost focus when Man Mark could play X. So they write lots of different statements up, and then the team that was on court have to then go to the board, identify when these examples occurred, mm -hmm. and then apply the three-step process to them yep. of you know, specific situation, impact me, impact game. And then they build an answer cooperatively and through experience of what they're doing. Um, again, being creative, one of the things that's worked pretty well for me, um, you know, this is just for my context, but so having the kids go away and making up their own exam paper. Yep. So by this stage, they should know what the exam is about, section one, mm -hmm. section two, section three. Go away in pairs, one person is going to make up an exam paper, the other person is going to make up a marking criteria mm -hmm. for that paper. And then what you do, your pair will switch with another pair. Right. You'll set their paper, they'll set yours, and then you hand it back and use the marking guidelines you've created. You give them feedback on their answers. And again, I think they like that because it allows them to see. I think so long as if kids understand where they're getting their marks, Mm -hmm. That really helps when it comes into the exam. They know how much to write. They know how to write it. They know why they're writing it. Yep. So if they yep. understand where their marks are occurring, it's, it's so, so beneficial. So and would you, would you, would you look over those... Um, so see, you said that you get them to make up their own marking criteria. Would you look over them before they, they switch the papers or whatever? Or do you just let them crack on with it? Yeah, like the, I'll have a glance at them all. I mean, as you'll be aware, that there's kids who you can totally trust who yep. you would... You, pretty certain 95% that everything they write is going to be of a high standard and good quality. But obviously there are kids in there and that's where you differentiate your, your kids in there who maybe need that extra little bit of guidance. So you go in and you help them through it, you guide them through it. Brilliant. Hi, because the one one of the ones that I found really interesting on the that one of those CLPL workshops, the one on exam prep was the the, the whole graffiti in the paper. I'd seen you tweeting about it on Twitter and I, I was just like I couldn't really understand it because I never had a I, I like learning like through speaking about things and actually seeing how it's put into practice as opposed to 
seeing it on a picture, I can really work out how you were doing it. But when that guy was talking about that technique, I thought it was really interesting how you write all the different bits on the on the paper and everything like that, just to really help you understand all the different command words and the what what the buzzwords and that actually mean. I thought that was a really good technique as well. Yeah, see, see graffiti in the paper. That's so important, and it's it's about giving the kids the tools. So actually, and the same as AJ said in his session. I actually spend a lesson on how to graffiti a paper mm-hmm. and it's looking at what we're looking for, why we're looking for it. So you're not only yeah. just highlighting the command board, but then you might arrow off, you know, what's my plan, right? It's described, right? Paint the picture, play the video, okay? You know, you, you look at the, the factor involved and then the, the component and the psychoanalysis and then you just branch off what you're going to write about. So you're actually creating a plan. Mm-hmm. And then another important thing there with that is, one of the things I hate is that a lot of teachers will tell kids, right, start at 1A and finish at 9B, for example. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get an exam, but start at the beginning and finish the end. Do it. I, I don't get it. Um, so, so one of the things I'll tell mine is identify the easiest questions first. Go through the page. Spend the first five minutes going through it. You've got two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. I have yet to know a kid that has not managed to complete the exam in two and a half hours. So take your time. Identify the questions that are easiest for you and then do them first. Bank your describe questions, bank your identify, get a confidence boost. So then when you come to the, the analyze or the value, which you only look at one anyway, but when you get to that, you've got the time and you've got the confidence as well based on banking what you've already done to have a real good free swing at it. Brilliant. Makes sense. Right, so in the in the podcast that we're doing, we're pretty big on people being able to take away their learnings and apply it instantly to test the impact. So getting wee nuggets of information. So put it in every scenario, I'm a higher candidate listening to this right now. What could I do this summer to prepare myself fully for the year ahead, if anything? Yeah, I think at the minute, with all the confusion that's around, not just higher P, but I think the whole of education, I think... A key thing is that other people's go away and, and they learn the four factors. Go, go away and learn what the four factors are. Go away and know the standard. That, that's a key thing. Know the standard. Go to the SAP student notes page. Look at what represents a one mark response. Look at why with the colour coordination it's getting a mark. Compare it to an answer that doesn't get a mark. Mm-hmm. And you know, for us as teachers, a key thing there, a, a, a good technique for us is, is spot the difference. Give, when we are doing the blended learning approach at the moment and we're giving them PowerPoints or sways, whatever we're doing, give them an example of a one mark answer and give them an example of one that's not a mark. Get them to mm-hmm. compare and contrast. Get them to go and build the knowledge of, right, this is why it got a mark, this is why it didn't get a mark, mm-hmm. and this is how that answer there could eventually get a mark. So, knowing the standards is really, really key. The, the key things for me, Understand what the four factors are. Yeah. Understand at least two or three of them for each, two or three sub factors, and put the the three step process in place of specific situation impact, me impact, game mm-hmm. to it, and then just have a brief, just have a brief understanding of what the cycle of analysis is. What what is data collection? What is developing performance? What is monitoring? What's evaluating? How do they differ? Mm-hmm. Um, get lay the foundations for a successful year for yep. a solid three built. Aye, that's it. Just if they understand that, then it makes it that wee bit easier going back in August. Then you can start to get into the nitty gritty of everything. Yeah. Good. So similarly, Aaron, if I'm a higher PE teacher, or if I'm about to start higher in August for my first time, or if I've got ambitions of being a higher PE teacher, class to have great success. Or what would you suggest to work on with a class? which you have had great success with at your school. Do you have any specific examples that stand out in your head that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think as well, before that, I think teachers who are maybe teaching it for the first time, in fact, any teacher, again, knowing your standard. One of the things I'd done when I first started, and I'm going to address an elephant in the room here, by the way, is knowing the standard. I learn about the higher course and there's still things I need to learn and improve my knowledge on by there's loads of stuff. But one of the things I did to build up my knowledge was I went and sat the past papers. I went and sat pre on papers. I sent my work to SQA team leaders to mark it for me. Because I never did higher on that five at school. I didn't get any of it at uni. So I was in the same, st- the same situation as the pupils. 
And I think what's absolutely crucial is that if you're teaching a higher PE class, you, you shouldn't be teaching that unless you can get 100% in every kind of exam. How, how, how can I look at myself and teach a child if I couldn't get 100% in that exam? Yeah. Or questions that come up. And I think that's crucial. And I think people need to do a lot of work around that. And I, I, saw you, I saw you were out at the university delivering uh, higher insets and National 5 insets. I think that's a big... Would you say that's a big part of the... Or should be a big part of the university programme as well? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because when these kids come out, when these students come out, sorry, third and fourth year, they'll shadow an at five class. When they go to probation, they'll get lumped with an at five class predominantly on their own. Some schools in a small department, they might even get ha hammered with a higher class. If you're really unfortunate, and I, I had this in my first year, but I had an at five stroke higher class. You know? So you've got to know the standard. We have to know the standard. You have to go away. And it's about, it's about being humble and admitting your vulnerabilities because I had to do it. I had to admit that I didn't know this. So I had to go away and learn that. I had to go away and make mistakes. But I think over time now, and I think I'm in a position to say this, is that I'll, I'll, I'll maximise any exam that comes out if I was to sit it. And that's why I think I've got the confidence to, to then deliver it to my pupils. And I think a lot of teachers out there don't do that. And, you know, people might not like me saying that, but it's true. It's, it's so, so true. And we see it. When we first put out the SAP student notes, it was part of a coordinated task. Now, again, this is me speaking. This isn't the, you know, the views or opinions of SAP. This is Aaron Anderson, PE teacher speaker. When we put that task out, we asked everybody to hand in model answers to four mark questions. A vast majority of those answers were not full marks vast majority did not get four out of four. They didn't get zero or one, but they didn't mm. get four. I, I think, I, I, think I, I don't know what I got. I remember doing the emotional factor. Maybe they let, let, that, let that one up. <laughs> I think that was lost. Anonymous. I'm actually anxious, anxious thinking about it. But, but this is the thing. Is, it's, it's not to create anxiety. It's, it's not to do that. It's, it, I've said it before. The best thing that happened to me was that I learned from making mistakes. And we say the same to our kids. Yeah, it's a big part of it. We're the same, you know. So I think we have a huge, and I mean that's a huge um, responsibility to go and know the standard. Could, could, could we all sit any question that comes up out of the mandatory knowledge and get four out of four in it? You know, that, that's something we need to do. So for a teacher delivering it for the first time, that's the first thing they've got to do. They've got I think to that's a, ta a task you could, you could be doing within your department, moderating. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, like I said, I contact teachers all over Scotland to get feedback. You know, but as you, you said, it, take, it takes that humbleness and that openness to know that you don't maybe know it to then take the steps to That's, that's what I think to develop it. That's definitely where the problem is. A lot of people are too proud and just don't want their ego to get hurt. If something like that happens. Right, so ego driven. That's, all, that's yeah, what absolutely. it is. It totally is. It, it's, it's totally that. And that's what I was saying when I was putting resources up at the start on Twitter. I think people maybe looked at me and thought, I just does that for sure. But I was genuinely doing it because I was getting reassurance. I was getting feedback and criticism that helped me improve. Such a big PE teaching community on Twitter as well that you can, it's a good place to put it. Do you know what I mean? If you're not afraid to yeah, put absolutely. it there. So it's probably the easiest way of getting everybody to see it and to get feedback on it. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, so answer your question. You know, I know I went off on a bit of a tangent there talking about knowing the standards but at the current moment in time people are obviously looking at lockdown as being a real negative and of course it is you know we'd all want to be in work we all want to be working with the young people that's why we're in PE that's why we're in teaching but there is a unique opportunity for us to use this time for CPD that we wouldn't normally have so going on Microsoft Educator community doing different Microsoft education workshops looking at how you could use digital technology. How do you use, you know, live video lessons on Microsoft Teams? How do we use Sway and Microsoft Forms to make teaching and learning more interactive on an online portal? The, I mean, all I again would say here is start off with the four factors because that's at the heart of it. All you're doing is you're taking these factors around the cycle of analysis essentially. So learn about the four factors, teach the four factors, 
get some sort of strategy in place. People use FACI as an acronym, Factor Activity Context Impact. I'm, I know it works, but simply because a lot of kids don't understand about context. It's too big, it's too vague. So I, I go with specific situation, impact on performer, impact on game. So knowing that and giving the kids that structure and strategy and applying it to their answer on online lessons is crucial. So that's what I would be saying, focus on for the interim. I think you made a good point about the, the blended learning approach that we're moving on to in terms of the different platforms that they need to be clued up on, like Microsoft Education and the live video and live streaming on Teams. I mean, it's not just enough, it's not enough just to post a PowerPoint, is it, and, and ask them to read through it. You need to be, you know, providing tasks that you're marking, giving feedback. So, made a good point there. Right, so you've touched on the challenges facing education as a whole. Uh, what are the three main challenges for senior pupils, would you say, starting out in their national higher or advanced higher courses? Yeah, I think that one as well. The, there is a big issue now for all pupils primary one through to six, just with mental health, anxiety, around uncertainty. You know, um, a lot of kids from the age of five right the way through to 17, even teachers, we miss the structure that going to work, going to school gives you. So a big challenge for a lot of these kids, I think, is helping them with their mental health and helping them return to school in a safe mental place. Whether that be us using the higher course with things like mindfulness approaches to get them back in. Um, I, I think there's a big, big, a, a, a much wider issue there that we need to look at as educators when working with these young people. I think, I think for that one, um, there's going to be challenges that are going to face us that we don't know about that are on a blind spot until we actually get in there. You know what I mean? And on a day by day basis day basis at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's it. It's, it's like I said, it's the uncertainty. It's the anxiety the uncertainty causes and everything at the minute is so fluid that everything's changing for day to day, week to week. So what might be acceptable today might not be acceptable tomorrow. So mm -hmm. what might be a good recommendation today is maybe not a good one next week. So I think that uncertainty for both us and the pupils can have a big impact on mental health. So it's about helping each other through that and looking at that holistic side of the, of the child before we even give them a worksheet in maths or before we have them doing any form of P is making sure they're in a good, safe mental place. Mm -hmm. I think um, if, if we go specifically to certificated PE, I think the obvious one at the minute is acceptable activities. What, what's going to be acceptable for one of performances? You know, mm -hmm. invasion games, they're out for the foreseeable future. They might, they might be blacklisted now and then, you know, they become available later in the year. But at the moment, they're out. And, and I think that's going to be, a, for me, that's a big issue because we might talk about how we can maybe, maybe do tennis, maybe do badminton, you know, individual sports. But <coughs> again, that's not fair. I, yeah. I, and I'll argue that highly. That's not fair because take, take a lot of the stereotypical boys, for example, who I teach academically, not the greatest, they'll admit it. But they're, they're students for high 20s or 30 out of 30 in football. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that, that alone puts them in a very strong place to pass the course. So we, we need to be careful here, or the SQA needs to be careful, on what activities they allow and how they structure the marking components. Because yeah, I, I, th I think the assessment might need to change as a result of... It needs to be fair. Like if it started two years ago, it needs to be consistent to previous years it's either that if it's different sports then we need to change the assessment criteria as you say yeah you know and we need to remember at the end of the day I'm, I'm a big believer in the curriculum fits the child and not the other way around the, the kids at the heart of everything and we shape things around them so it's not fair that a kid who is a, a typical PE pupil from first to fifth year for example and say they're sitting PE in sixth year um, but then the, the main activities, whether they're invasion game players or suddenly not, they're off limits to them. Mm. It's not fair. So I think that's going to cause anxiety, not just for kids, but for us as well. 
Um, it causes, again, confusion. It causes uncertainty. And I really think the SQA, and I know it's difficult, it's hard for anybody to come out now and give a statement because things, like we said, you don't want the risk looking silly giving a statement and no. backtrack. It comes from the government, really, isn't it, nationally? But, yeah. Yeah. But we, we do need that structure. We need that guidance. Um, and then well, the hopefully by August we'll have that. I hope so. Can I you see so. this? Can you see this going right through to next year with the whole like invasion games thing and that not being allowed? Do you think it's actually going to? Because New Zealand seem to have like they're just allowing full contact rugby and all that. Like surely, surely by August September time, it's. I don't know. Like I, I don't know. It's, it's it is uncertain, but. It's just it's mad to think that it's going to last that long. There's been strong, there's been strong talk about uh, going down to one metre loose. I heard that, but I'm not sure if that will even help the sports side of things. It will definitely help how many cl- people you can fit in your classes, but I'm not sure if it will help PE as much. Mm-hmm. I think that, again, it's just uncertainty. I'd, I'd love to be able to say, right, let's go back and let's do football or basketball or rugby, whatever it may be. I'd love to go back to that as soon as possible. Because it's going to help our teaching of the course as well. The more activities we can teach this content through, the better. Um, but my, my concern is that obviously we're seeing the government now being extremely cautious, that they maintain that cautious approach. And we're hearing outrageous things now about how, you know, PE is being, in some cases, pretty much very limited in the BGE. So, I think we've got a battle ahead as a, as, as a community and, and as professionals in PE to fight our corner. And Absolutely. I really think we need to stand up for ourselves and fight that. Yeah, because in my head, I'm thinking from a National 5 class, like it's going to be predominantly fitness-based stuff. So, it's going to be like plyometric training, intervals, you know, like individualised programmes, strength and condition stuff. If you, th- if you look at it, well, you know, it's going to probably lend itself nicer to this social distancing approach but then it's taking away that sporting element I suppose you can still have the competitive element but how do you go mental I was thinking I'm thinking of going mental emotional um, when it comes again it depends where we are and when we go back but I I think at the current moment the ideal factor to focus on is mental or emotional because you would do these mindfulness approaches at home originally anyway that's where you would initially do them. You would do them on your own with no distractions from others. You know, yeah. you would do that with a questionnaire. You would do that with deep breathing. You would do that with visualisation. So I think mental and emotional are your go-to ones at the moment. I really do. It's something that we could really focus on and use. And like we said, is it might even alleviate some of the anxiety if we teach it through Skills for Life, Learn and Work. It might even alleviate some of the anxiety when these kids do return and they are in school, we could have a huge well-being project through the mental or emotional factors at higher PE. Yeah, and then even if you're including that physical fitness side of it, then you're getting the physical aspect of the, the, the subject as well. Just yeah. to steer away from the skills and the tactics and the social side of it. Sounds yeah, good. Absolutely. I've got this sorted. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're definitely the, the, the two factors that, to go for because it's relevant right now as well with everything that's going on today so that's interesting right moving on question seven in your opinion what changes if any would you suggest to the one-off performance exam weighting so the percentage of marks awarded for the practical and the theory um sorry again i'm i'm maybe not answering the question i'm I'm maybe looking at a bigger thing but right I'm, i'm going to say something that i know people might resist, but I think the pathway is all wrong. I think the pathway from that five to higher to advanced higher is, is in the wrong order. I don't think it follows a coherent or progressive nature at all. I think you look at that five, that five you take two factors through a cycle of analysis on an ongoing basis in the portfolio throughout the year. Higher, you then look at all four factors and you have to be able, particularly in section one where it's absolute lottery, You've got to be able to apply all four factors to each part of the psychoanalysis. But then you go to advanced higher, and then sorry, high, you've got an exam at the end of the year. It's not ongoing, it's an exam. So it's completely different to that five. Hmm. And then at advanced higher, you've then got two factors through a project on an ongoing basis again, albeit in much more depth. 
So I think advanced hire course lends itself to, to, to National 5 much better than higher does. I think advanced hire and higher is the wrong way. I've, I think they're completely wrong way. And I think a lot of kids struggle with that jump from that five to higher because the, the breadth of content is so big. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, a lot of people argue that the, the portfolios are, you know, some people call it an invalid method of assessment, sorry, but it's not. It's, it's not. The, the, the national average in the portfolio is 52.5%. <laughs> that's aye, not a good pre- grade. Aye, it's still pretty low, isn't it? That's, that's a shocking grade. When you consider that 87% of the portfolio is done with assisted notes, whatever that means, but to kids, for kids to only access 52.5% would tell yep. me that the portfolio is still too challenging for them, particularly when they get mm-hmm. access to notes. So, that, so when people talk to me and say that National 5 should be an exam, I completely disagree. Because the stats there, Prove yeah. otherwise. If, if, if every kid, if that, if that national average was sitting, you know, high 60s, low 70s, then yeah, there's a case to answer there, but it's only just above half. Mm-hmm. So, valid assessment too, whether people like closed book or open book, our kids are still suffering difficulties with it. Um, and then when you go higher, like I said, the, the jump's huge. It goes to 30, the exam average at higher is 36.6%. So, a drop is 16%. Mm-hmm. So, the exam at higher is the one that's the issue. You know, we're taking kids who are only just scraping a half pass, a half, uh, sort of half mark in the portfolio, and then launching them in a two and a half hour exam for almost double the course content. Yeah. That, that jump's too big. It's far too big. Um, I don't mind the, the, I quite like the fact that the weighting is 50 50. I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Give some of the kids a chance, like you said earlier, like the literacy skills and that, that's maybe the only hire that they're taking. Think yeah, and, and also, a, like a fair way to do it. Yeah, and also because we're, we're, we're remembering the, the P part of PE, the physical mm-hmm. part, we're remembering the practical element. You know, I do agree with some people, a lot of people talk about how it was better, you know, at standard grade, where you'd done like a block in an activity and then you were given an award after it. Perhaps, but then I think the one of performance lends itself well to the factors. Knowing that you're getting assessed that day, that stimulates anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's, it could stimulate a lack of confidence. It could stimulate anger because you know it means a lot. Yeah. It can. It's going to test your resilience if you make a mistake because you know it means something. So it actually brings <clears throat> you keep it the right way. It actually brings the factors to life in a one of performance mm-hmm. because it actually oh, yeah. a summative assessment. assessment. Yep. Yeah, it's a great preparation for, for life, like for, even for interviews. It stimulates that same kind of anxiety within you. Because you, you, you see the kids' faces when they come into the game, so ah, it's totally on, uh, one, uptight. And, but it's a great experience. Yeah, don't get me wrong, some kids love that. You know, I know kids that love that. You know, they've got the, the ego, they've got the confidence, they've got the swagger. Good. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. But there are other kids out there who don't have that, and, and that's the challenge for them, and that's where our course needs to be more than just teaching you about how you can't be anxious when taking a penalty kick. You also need to be able to control them anxieties when you're doing an exam. Has to go beyond basic PE. Right, so technical uh, te- technology and digital learning and literacy are massive drivers for schools at the moment. How do you incorporate this into your daily teaching approach? So you've already alluded to it with some of your, your strategies um, earlier on. Have you got any other ones? Yeah, um, you know, during lockdown as well, I've done quite a lot on Zoom, as we've kind of alluded to. It's been good CPD for me, seeing how Zoom works. Yeah. How you could give others a platform to develop their leadership and confidence skills. But then that, coming back to... Say again, sorry? Does that P no give you the full version of Zoom? No. No, yeah. I've asked. They're going to up- upgrade it. Yep. They're going to upgrade it. Um, so the workshops will be a bit longer. <laughs> uh, <which is> <laughs> Sorry to throw you off track there. I was just, I was just curious. Sorry. Right. Right. Just going to hand in my just just wearing my P forty five for them now. Uh, <laughs> I know what's what, what you're talking about. We've even got the, the full one for this podcast. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, the. 
actually, when I worked at Queen Anne High School, there was a, as a teacher there, I went to name drop her, Sarah Clark, and she's like, I told Guru, the Microsoft education, she's big on Twitter, and she's brilliant. And I learned so much just from seeing what she did on Twitter. That's where the educate, like the edge of Twitter comes in real handy. I've seen some of the stuff she was doing, the way she was using PowerPoints. You know, a lot of people just use a basic PowerPoint, but, you know, like you said, when you, when you submit a PowerPoint online to Microsoft Teams for these kids to do blended learning, I, I've had people already email me on Go telling me that they much prefer it when we do a live lesson because they're being taught through and yeah. building a deeper knowledge and understanding of what's on the slides. Um, but again, just looking at things with Sarah, one of the things I'd done quite a while back was I was putting audios onto the PowerPoints when they were doing homework, for example. I was attaching a PowerPoint that was additional to what they'd done in class. And it had either my mug, my face, in the yeah. bottom right corner, talking them through it, or just my audio overview of, of it. And it just to build. And was that just on, was that just on PowerPoint? the content on the slides. Is that Sarah Clark from as well as Den? I, sorry, sorry to jump in. Is that uh, the, the Bears Den one that you shared on SAT PE? Yeah, that is similar to that. Um, that was Louise Kenny. That's a brilliant tool they use. Uh, I was they, looking for them yesterday. Uh, honestly, they're, honestly, they're fantastic. The, mm -hmm. They've got, they, they use Screencast-O-Matic, so once you've made yeah. your PowerPoint, I'm not going to lie and take credit. I made up a PowerPoint audio and then I just chucked it to Louise and she went and ran it through Screencast-O-Matic, so it plays the video. Um, right, me and Lewis were playing about with that yesterday, weren't we? Aye, it was brilliant. The Screencast-O-Matic. No, we weren't doing it. We were, Screencast-O-Matic's a different app, though, isn't it? It's a different software. Yeah. Aye, it's, a, it's different from PowerPoint. We, we were only doing the, the video recording thing where you, like, clip it out. Use and a cursor. You can, and uh, you can screen records. Like your slides, and then you're talking over the top of it. So like you play a video, and you can like talk through the video and stuff like that. Yeah, and there's two ways you can do it. I believe um, two the way you guys have done, or the way I did it was that you already attach the audio onto each slide through PowerPoint, mm -hmm. and then basically when you put on the screencast-o-matic, you upload it. You just hit start slideshow. So it means that. It just moves through, and you're not in a rush. Whereas what you guys are, what you guys maybe done was, if you just make the PowerPoint up with no audio, for example, go to Screencast-O-Matic and film it as you talk. You've got to get that audio right in one take throughout every slide. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the video is playing, you know. So you could kind of save yourself that because I was like that. It took me three or four takes on some slides to get the right message across. Mm -hmm. um, so that was funny yesterday. Lewis was trying to get a video up, and his Wi-Fi crashed. <laughs> <laughs> just his cursor, with his, with his, this, as you uh, can see like in the video. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was a Dan headbutt Matarazzi for the World Cup final. Remember? That's a classic. That's a classic. It's a classic but, motto, isn't it, for the control of aggression? Oh, brilliant! <laughs> Panama comfy kick in the Crystal Palace fan. <laughs> brilliant. Um, no, but but that but again, it raises a point because when it came to them Zoom sessions. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't sleep on the like the Sunday night going into the Monday. I was panicking like mad because although I'd done my research on Zoom, I'd never actually shared and recorded a live lesson. And I was panicking, thinking, God, we've got a hundred odd people coming to this. If this crashes, this is gonna be a disaster. And I'm not joking, the anxiety I had was through the roof. Uh, obviously something going wrong with the Wi-Fi, something going wrong with mm -hmm. Zoom. So you do have them anxieties, but obviously the more you practice, the more confident you get. Mm -hmm. I ran really smoothly. I thought it I did think you looked a bit tired on the Monday morning. I just thought... Nah, no me. Just in the fresh orange juice on Saturday night. <laughs> Playing play bingo on Zoom. Um, <laughs> I was a professional. Foxy bingo. It was good. Brilliant. We've been doing, like, on a Saturday night, we've been doing, um, like family calls through WhatsApp chats. Yeah. Uh -huh. and I'm no joking, we played bingo again. And the first two you were playing for fun, just for a bit of laugh. And I won nothing, like nothing at all. And then we got to the final game where it was a lines of 10 or two lines 20 and three lines 35 or whatever it was. I'm no joking, boys. Line one, me, bingo, 10 quid. 30 seconds, <laughs> 30 seconds later, right? No joke. Second line, me, bingo. I've pocketed another 20 quid. 
and then I was waiting. I honestly, they were raging, absolutely raging. I was like, "This is a scam. This is a fix." But then I was sitting waiting on one number for a full house. As I like, see, if I won every single price, that would be absolutely priceless. Just the chaos. <laughs> Did you not get the thirty-five? No. No. Say that again. Did you not get the 35? No, I was sitting there waiting on one number for about 45 minutes and it wouldn't come out. Um, oh, so that's why that's why you're loving lockdown so much. You're making a fortune. Ah, uh, well, I something like that. That night, by the way, see that Nike, um, that Nike sale, that's absolutely floored me. I've, my wallet's burst already and we're not even in the second week in June. Like, I'm absolutely skinned. It's been fortune. What? Aye. Just online? Uh, was that 30% off sale we were getting? Oh, but yeah. see with that, right? This was so annoying. Maybe other people listening to this will be able to tell, right? I went on it the week before and I'd seen a really nice Roma top that I wanted. So I was going to buy it and it was down to 35 quid. So when I'd seen the thing cut for 30% off, I've went on to the Nike website thinking, right, brilliant, I'll get that, that Roma top for about, I don't know, 20 quid, whatever it may be. Went on, that same Roma top that was 35 quid before the sale, is up to 69. Double what? the price. Aye. Like, pretty much double the price. I was like, ah, raging. Missed it. Missed it there. Put your bingo winnings towards it, you'll still get it for the same price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> true, actually, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, I hear you talking a lot about the holistic development of the child, Dan. How would you go about ensuring... Uh, you model this or you, you make this real in your class or what do you feel hinders this what, what do you see teachers doing or do you hear the teachers doing that doesn't do this what's just the opposite side of holistic development I think for me the, the, when I first started teaching higher I, I looked at it through the wrong lines I looked at it through I need to try and get every kid in here. I need to uh, you know I want everything and of course you still want that because these kids need the grades some of them to get to uni but it was only when I moved to Queen Anne that I actually changed my lens a little bit and I realised how more important it is to develop the whole kid through higher P. So, for example, yeah, that kid might have got a C rather than the one at Madras who got an A, but the one who got a C has actually came out a better learner as such. So they've came out now more motivated. They've came out with a better metacognition about how they learn best. They've came out, you know, with a better work rate They've came out a more reflective learner as well, reflecting on why something was good or how they can improve something. And they've improved their commitment levels. And it was only after that that I managed to sort of reflect that I thought, I actually got more satisfaction out of seeing that than what I did the grade they got. You know? Um, and it's those life skills and it's those kind of softer skills, isn't it? That It's hard to measure and hard to test, but it's stuff that will make a real impact in their lives. Yeah, de- definitely. And I think um, I-, I found that really, really beneficial. It was a good learning experience for me because it changed my lens on what success looks like. You know, like I said, yeah. of course, I want kids to get good grades because, you know, that's what they work for. And some of them, like I said, need it to get to uni. But I think that's a big thing that stops it, though. I think that's a thing that stops holistic learning is that people who are too obsessed with getting the best possible grades and then coincidentally they then resort, resort sorry to rote learning they resort to model answers memorize this memorize this memorize this but then when it comes to the exam a command word's put in a, a random place against a random bit of content and they can't adapt you know that was something i did at the start whereas now i, I would like to think that through experience and through time i'm producing learners who are better at problem solving as well you know, and, and again, I, th- I think that just comes down to the content you teach. It comes down to the strategies you use. You know, so for example, using strategies like be the examiner where I will deliberately put a que- an answer on the board that's only three out of four. And I get them to mark it. And you like to find they would get the three marks and they don't get the fourth. And it's to get them investigating, well, why did that sentence get a mark? But why did that sentence not? It's using the problem solving as part of the learning process. And it's building that knowledge and understanding so that when it comes to the exam, they're capable of solving problems. They're capable mm-hmm. of identifying something that maybe just doesn't look right when they're reading back in their answer and they could fix it. So rather, I think, just, rather than just always copying down the right answer all the time. Yeah, exactly. And, and it builds up their knowledge of what constitutes a mark. So it, 
it then automatically leads them doing quite well in the exam. Yep. You know, because they're a better learner. They're, mm-hmm. they're a better learner. Um, I mean, one of the things I love doing is, you know, and I, and I hear other teachers do it as well, and it's great, is I, I link a lot of the factors to life learning, a lot like resilience. You know, we all know the common one when you put your hand up in modern studies, you get the answer wrong. How do you respond? How do you feel? Oh, I feel embarrassed, or I'll never put my hand up again because I don't want to get that sort of shame, that feeling of I've made a mistake. Well, that's because you're lacking resilience from the emotional factor. So if you were to use positive self-talk there, use your ability to bounce back, answer it again in the future. And it's bringing the factors to life outside the PE. And in doing so, you're developing them holistically. You're developing them as an individual. Mm-hmm. as opposed to just a, a, a pupil in PE. There's a more longer lasting impact on them as well because a lot of the time if it's just a rote learning they'll go do the exam and then that, they'll forget about everything whereas if you're doing the holistic development side of things then that's going to have a, a knock-on impact as they go forward into jobs, uni, etc. and everything. So. Yeah, and it's, it's, it, again there, I, th- I think a key thing that we should all be doing is I think people get, you know, in a, I don't mean this to sound patronising, but I think a lot of people don't, they'll use the term active learning, but they're using it in the wrong way. I think a lot of people just see active learning as we're learning through play or we're, we're learning in the game so, or we're, we're doing zero theory in the classroom, we're doing all in the game so. That, that's not active learning. A, a, active learning is that constructivism where you know, you're trying something, you're reflecting on what you did, you're identifying mistakes you made, or identifying mistakes others did in peer learning. Then you're adapting based on that reflection, and then based on that adaption, you improve. Yep. And I think if, if we could give them opportunities to do that in the classroom that moves away from rote learning, you're naturally going to build deeper and more rounded knowledge structures in them. So the holistic learning, like we said, just lends itself to better attainment. Yep, I felt as if I was back at uni there listening to that. That was brilliant. About the reflection side of things, I remember reading a book about the constructivism. Uh, it's funny, because see, uni... We had an essay on it, didn't we? Aye, that's the thing. See, uni, like, I, I'll be honest, maybe you guys are the same, I'll be honest, I just thought, aye, what a nonsense, that. But then when I actually come in, when you go into school, mm-hmm. you actually see the practical benefit of it, don't you? Yeah, see it firsthand. Yep. Uh, I was on a CPD last week about uh, it was called It's Time to Reflect and Reframe Our PE Provision. So as we've kind of touched on and the changes that might need to be made to improvise and overcome the challenges, why, why do you believe PE has such a massive role to play in the current pandemic and in pupil development? Oh, loads. Loads, and it's, it's scary at the minute because you're hearing things from a num- number of different PE being limited in the BGE, PE, my, you know, games halls taken for so, for bigger spaces, for social distancing, for learning um, areas. But I think one of the things you need to remember here is that during lockdown, the government, the one exception they made to us leaving the house during lockdown was to exercise. That was the one thing you were allowed to do. It was one of the only mm-hmm. things you were allowed to do. And that was because of the physical, mental and emotional benefits to, to exercise. When we go back to school, it's going to be completely different. It's a new normal. It's going to be a lot more regimented just in its simple way of kids being two metres apart. It's going to be a lot more regimented, you know? And PE, you know, we all know the physical side of it, but that's going to give that freedom again. You know, it gives the freedom to let off steam. Yeah, okay, you're doing it in certain activities where you're, you're still observing social distancing, but it's a chance to let off steam. It's a chance to express yourself as well that I don't think these kids are going to get much experience in doing when the returns, mm-hmm. it's going to be so regimented. So, yep, absolutely. You, know, you know what I mean? And, and the, the mental side of stuff as well, we talk about anxiety, the kids returning or us returning. Exercise alleviates anxiety. We all know that. You know, it helps your mental health. So we need to, again, look at the holistic benefits that PE brings. And I'll be absolutely amazed if, if they do what the rumours are and, you know, PEs effectively cut you know, and minimise that. Just can't we? We can't let that happen. We need to fight together and have a voice that says you can't do that. Yeah, because like the three of us see the benefits it brings our lives with physical activity, our physical challenges that we've been doing. So I think rather than cutting it, they should be adding extra in. 
because it's a beating heart of education, I believe. So, aye, if you've not got that, you, you don't have anything else. I don't know why I'd have done during this lockdown if I wasn't allowed at the house. Seriously, yeah, yeah, is that guitar? What was that? Sorry, he's cut out there. Many <laughs> songs, songs have we done now? What was my, what's my if you've done any exercise? You can, you can only practice a few more songs. I fine tuning my, my fine motor skills here. <laughs> I was learning a wee bit of Johnny Cash. Are you? Aye. Give us a rendition. I get your guitar on. Aye, after, after the time runs out, we've got six minutes, boys. Right, okay, Alan, we like, we, we're, we've got a, a new wee thing that we do at the end of our podcast, we've got a wee quick fire round, right? So just short, sharp answers, um, and we've only got three questions here for you. So to finish off, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown, what would it say on it? <laughs> in Glen Rothis. In Glen Rothis. <laughs> Turn round, go home. <laughs> Question two. What books have had the greatest influence on your life or book? A book. Pep Confidential. Great Love book. It. Brilliant. That's only. Has he got two of the books? Is that the red one? It's the one in Bayern Munich. Aye. In Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich was 10 times better than the city one. The city one's Aye. 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 I, 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 I gave you a lot of Bayern Munich one. Any chance I can get it back? I gave you it back. Right, question three. What advice would you give to an apprentice about to enter the working world or what advice would you not give? The advice I'd give is do the basics, be punctual, work hard, do the extra overtime when it's offered. For every episode, we have a key takeaway message for the listeners and out of respect, we always start with the guests. So, Aaron, what's your key takeaway message? And it could be to do with anything that we've spoken about today. I think it's just to remember how valuable PE is in terms of developing the whole pupil to develop the whole child and never to forget that and especially remember how vital we are in our subject is for the physical, mental and emotional well-being of all our kids and that mm-hmm. we need to stand together and make sure others who are not in PE understand that and that we fight our corner and make sure it continues to feature centrally in the curriculum. Yep, spot on. There's not any other subject that can provide right. that, isn't there? No. No. Hey, Mr. Farrell, what about yourself? It reminds me of being taken back to what Aaron said in question five when he was talking about the lockdown and making the most of it. Good opportunity to take part in some CPD um, opportunities, so develop your uh, digital technology knowledge and just uh, get on Microsoft Education. That's what I'm going to be doing this summer, I think, and training myself up in various different platforms and digital uh, learning strategies. So that would be mine. Make the most of your time off and I f- get some CLPL like, done. I feel like during this lockdown, I've actually learned like, just loads of wee strategies and that, that I can use. I've, especially with like, Microsoft Teams and that, like, I've developed my, my knowledge within that side of things a, a whole load there. So I, think I think that's going to be the way it's going to be now, isn't it? With a part-time model, it's going to be have all your classes on online now. So, good time to get get ahead of the game. So, what would your key takeaway message be then? My one would be right at the start when you mentioned Arn about just putting your work out there, just getting people to market, not just removing your ego completely from it, being humble with it, and just accepting the the slaughtering you might get if it's if it's not right just to, to get better at it. And I certainly need to do that with my, my higher stuff as well, just to, to learn it for when I do actually have to come around to teaching the course myself. So that's going oh, to be yeah. on my agenda, is to go through the past papers, really learn the, all the, the different answers and that and make sure I can do it 100%. So I feel confident in myself. Well, Aaron, thanks for coming on and being so open with your approaches and your experience so far teaching PE. It's been great having you on. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Be expecting, a few, be expecting a few emails to mark some answers and that. I'm the one with Russell and Ian. <laughs> Forward. <laughs> right. Thanks again to everyone for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hopefully you've taken something from this because I sure have. Clark mentioned it at the start of today's episode. If you have a spare two minutes, check out Arms Kids Football Coaching page on Twitter and Instagram. Is it on Facebook as well? Yeah. Yep. And it's, 
What at so the the handle is at Jai Four K Soccer School and school is spelt S K O O L. Try and get you a wee bit more exposure there, mate. We are fifty fifty listeners. Get the wee plug in. Um, there's some really good quality content on there if you have any young aspiring footballers in your household. Like always, we're always grateful if you can take the time to share these episodes and write a short review for us to let other know others know what we are all about. In the meantime, keep your eyes peeled for the next episode and take care of yourselves. <laughs> <laughs>